Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast. This week we hit the big 3-0. That's right, this is episode 30 and our first November recording. The weather is turning fast here in the Midwest and so are the fortunes of some of our teams. Every week we break down the NFL's upper Midwest. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, your co-host, Michigan-born and still here in Detroit, Michigan, where the fall colors are in full bloom, but we're here today to talk about our team colors. This is my co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Uh, as the fall some uh, changes in the north uh, in Florida, it is just beautiful out. It's so good this week. My brother is coming down on Thursday. We're going to head up Universal for his first time. Oh, and how fun. If, yeah, and if you're doing the math on that, he will be flying in the night the Bears play the Panthers. So apparently we will not be watching that game probably much, or at least we'll try, but... He's flying out of Chicago to avoid that game, I guess you could say. But more on that later. I was going to say, why you know, why would you want to miss that one? That one, you might actually win. <laughs> the one time the Bears have motivation to not lose. Yeah, exactly. But if you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, our email is midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com or recommending our show to your friends so we can grow our audience. Today, we'll give an update on the rapidly developing Michigan football cheating story. We'll talk about a party in Las Vegas like they need another one. We'll talk about the state of the quarterback position in the NFL, plus all of the reactions and analysis of last week's action that you expect from us here at the Midwest Football Podcast. But first, we have an epidemic officially on our hands. No Achilles tendon is safe, is it, Brian? Oh my God! I don't even knew Achilles snapped in uh, pro football or and sports in general until Cam Akers' first Achilles. Um, and then I believe there was also the um, Kobe Bryant had one towards the end of his career, which seems like a bigger deal in basketball when you have to jump. So, do you want to? Shall we just run down all the people who have lost an Achilles this year? I mean, well, just last week we had Cam Akers and Daniel a Jones. Second time. Kirk Cousins the week before, so that's double duty for the Vikings. The two huge ones at the beginning of the year were Aaron Rodgers and J.K. Dobbins. That's just off the top of my head. I did a quick look and found one on (laughs) found a quick one on uh, Jets offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, I'm sure there are others that just did not hit the news media the you know the way that the big star uh, offensive players did. But holy cow, I mean, I've heard of Achilles tendon injuries, but I would say it's at the rate of about two every three years until this year. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it seems like every week, two more. Well, I don't know what is going on, but I feel like there's a there might be two random theories I have off the top of my head. And I want to mind everybody. I am not a doctor. This is all just theories with nothing. Um, one obviously is possibly the fact that we are shortening, shortening camp. So people are less and less ready. So you're going to zero to 60, you know, faster and faster than you ever did. There's less ramp up time that there used to be in the off season. So that might put a bigger strain on Achilles, ACLs, et cetera. And then the other thing I've heard that the bigger people get, the more muscle mass you put on, 
your your bone density gets bigger, you know, sturdier as you put on more weight, your muscles get stronger, but I don't believe your tendons do. So the lot str bigger, stronger, faster people get, the more strain there is just on ligaments in general. And I'm wondering if we're seeing that too. I've heard the same thing in the past, Brian. The NFL Players Association is trying to use this rash of injuries as justification to get all of the NFL playing fields turned over into real grass. Hmm. Yeah, under the guise that that would cause less injury than turf. Well, I guess my question with the turf is this isn't AstroTurf where it's just a thin piece of carpet on top of asphalt. This is, I've played on this new turf. It seems pretty consistent with grass and stuff. In fact, I feel like it's probably more consistent. I'm surprised to hear that turf is still what they complain about. But maybe I'm living in a cave. They've been talking about wanting to play more on natural grass for a couple of years now. Okay. Um, I you know I don't have the expertise to say that it would or would not cause much of a difference. I don't know that it would that anything is really going to affect non-contact injuries like these or ACLs, mm -hmm. uh, very much at all. I think it's just horrible luck unless you're you know you well, get Dobbins where you just got smashed on your knee or something like that. True, and th there is one more thing too is. They also make more and more rules to open up the field. We see this in basketball where there's less and less contact to prevent injuries. But if you're getting up to faster and faster speed without contact, you're cutting harder, which I'd also believe puts a lot more strain on lower body, you know, yeah, basketball, yeah. football. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more ACL tears in NBA than there was back when the Pistons and the, uh, you know, uh, Knicks were leaning on Michael Jordan and beating him up. I mean, bruises heal faster than ACL tears. So <laughs> give me, give me that every day. Call me old school. You know, I don't think and, you see this in rugby where they're leaning on each other instead of running full. Well, I'm not going to even guess what the injuries <laughs> the rugby players go through. Well, but, that's a whole different story, but yeah. Yeah. I, those, I have no proof. Yeah. That, that's, they're up there with hockey players for toughness. True. The non-contact injuries are, Probably to some extent, always going to happen. I just don't see what we're going to do about it. Like you, we got something else in common. I am also not a doctor. <laughs> so we will see what, uh, if this continues or what it is. Maybe they feel like their cleats are catching in the turf or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, in Las Vegas, I almost said Oakland, Las Vegas. <laughs> They are actually celebrating because uh, I'm not even sure they let Josh McDaniels on the team plane back from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you did you hear this story? So obviously, the, you know, the headline is Josh McDaniels was fired, which if you call my one more thing, I was predicting that the winner of the Bears and Lions, uh, a win by the Bears or Lions could trigger the first coach fired. And I was right on one of them because the Bears did not end up uh, more on that later. They did not come through. Lions did. Josh McDaniels got fired um, probably at the game, like you said, in Detroit. There was a great story that Jay Glazier, I believe of Fox, talked about where the Giants interim head coach, Antonio Pierce, gave a speech to try to rally the team back when Josh McDaniels was the coach. And he was talking about fighting and how the Giants in, you know, 07 galvanized and scrapped and put together and showed a lot of fire, ironically, fire being the word used on Josh, Josh McDaniels. And at the end of the speech, he got everyone going. And then Josh McDaniels just stepped in and said, never talk about the Patriots that way. And then he locked out of the room. And the funniest part is, 
the team was mad at Josh McDaniels and they weren't listening to him. So Antonio Pierce was trying to fire them up and get their ear by telling them an inspirational story that Josh McDaniels just shot down immediately when he finished. This is it. This, this, there's never been a happier team to get rid of their head coach than the Raiders this year. And it showed on the field as they just systematically annihilated. I feel, believe it was the New York football giants this weekend. Yeah. I think it was like, 30 to nothing or something like that. Like it was, they had not exceeded 21 points all year. They play one game without Josh McDaniels and they dropped 30 offensive guru, Josh McDaniels. (laughs) Terrible. I mean, I, we kind of went off on this a couple weeks ago, but Mm -hmm. the Patriot way. Goodbye. I don't want to hear about it anymore. The Patriot way was we have Tom Brady. And we underpay our entire offensive line and defense. Because they will pay for Tom Brady. Yeah. Tom Brady put a lot of unathletic white guys' kids through in private school. (laughs) We can we call it the we just slide it over and start calling it the Chiefs way because I believe Mahomes could probably pull this off now in a way that I think Mahomes is pulling this off right now. Have you seen their offense? That's a good point. And uh yeah. Um, since you know what, real quick side note, my buddy pointed out today at work that uh, the guy who forced the fumble from Tyreek Hill that ended up being the game winning touchdown was, I believe it was Trent McDuffie, who was drafted with one of the picks used to get uh, what they, they got from the Tyreek Hill trade. So it was kind of a poetic changing of the guards where they traded away Tyreek Hill, he came back to haunt him, and then the guy that they get, got for him literally picked his pocket and won the game for him. So Defense first. This is kind of the first time I realized it, but yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs right now are very, very, very much build wise like the Tom Brady Patriots. Mm -hmm. They are super stud quarterback, good offensive line, above average offensive line, great defense across the board. Bargain running backs that are effective. One stud receiver to throw to in any one year. Especially tight end like Gronk to Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Arguably the two best tight ends in the last decade or two. Yeah, but as good as the Kansas City Chiefs have played, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback play as a whole, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to go off the top of my head. There was some pretty bad quarterback play across the board. I mean, first of all, Arizona got blanked with a start throwing a rookie Clayton tune to the wolves after cutting trading Dosh Dobbs more on both of those later. Um, then you had Mark Brett Rippon uncle uh, was Mark Rippon of the, uh, you know, Super Bowl champion, Washington football team. Um, and then um, it's the Washington potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Potato skins. Cause they're not the football team anymore, nor were they when he played. Uh, they were, they scored three points. Uh, whatever's going on in both New Yorks is God awful and unwatchable. Tommy oh. DeVito, Zach Wilson. I mean, Atlanta up, upgraded the Taylor Heineke, the Vikings threw out Josh Dobbs who won a game, you know, um, the Raiders turned to Aiden McConnell rookie out of Purdue, another late round guy who came through. So not all these guys are, you know, didn't come through Josh Dobbs, Aiden McConnell, O'Connell, I should say, but you just have terrible play. I mean, we're looking at Bryce Young in Carolina, more on that later. Mac Jones and forgettable Patriots, speaking of the death of the Patriots way. It's getting unaw- uh, awful. I mean, it's to the point where I heard a joke that 
Jordan Love is the happiest quarterback in football because he's so bad, but people don't realize it because there's 12 other worse quarterbacks than him right now. <laughs> yeah, I can believe Maybe not that. 12, but it's I, pretty you, much up you there. Have, you probably and, could figure it out. And, you just named like seven or eight. Yeah, and I want to tee you up too. I took some victory laps on our fantasy football preview the last couple of weeks. Um, I know they have a winning record and they will probably make the playoffs as the fifth best team in the NFC. But what is going on with Geno Smith in Seattle? He is not what he was last year. And I believe my co-host called that this year in our season preview for fantasy football with our quarterbacks to fade. Yeah. Yeah. I was not thrilled with Geno and some of the numbers, but I mean, he's still on a fantastically coached team. They've got a ton of talent around him, but you start to see it when it's suddenly on him to win games. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, we'll talk more about this later when we get to the Lions, but, you know, that loss to the Ravens is not looking so bad. That's true. I mean, but it was still 37 to three. But as we talked about this last week or two weeks ago when the Lions played there, Baltimore is underrated. One of the best home field advantages in football. I don't know why might be the fans. It might be the cold, but it is up there. And you really see that when Seattle's traveling West coast to East coast and get annihilated. They also have, you know, Lamar Jackson, easily a top five quarterback right now. I think he's third MVP voting. Yeah. (laughs) The Ravens would definitely represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. If they were on that side, they destroy the NFC. And I think a lot of that is you don't see him ever or anybody like him. If Good you're point. an NFC, that is a great so point. You, can't you don't for it. realize what he's actually capable of doing until he's doing it to you. Yeah. Because the closest quarterback to him in the NFC in terms of skill set is what Geno Smith. I'd probably Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, but they're not. Okay, I go with that. Yeah, Fields is probably the best, but he's not nearly the complete package. And then Fields, Hurts is similar, but he's not nearly as fast or dynamic on the ground. He's a no, short. he's more he's a load. Player. Yes, he's more Josh Allen style runner, where he's like hard to bring down, but yeah. he's not breaking away sixty yard runs, highlight runs. You know. Yeah, I hear you. Think of, I was thinking of it also from the fantasy football perspective because for so many years it was fashionable to wait as long as you possibly could on your quarterback with the idea that you know if you got the 15th, 16th, 18th quarterback, you're, there wasn't much of a cry between that and 8th. Well, this year there definitely is. If you've got one of the top 8, 10 quarterbacks that has made it to this point in the season and survived, Bravo you. You've got a really nice fantasy asset, or in this case, NFL asset. Those teams that still have quarterbacks with a pulse are going to continue to get relatively better as long as they're getting everything around them that they need. If you were counting on a bargain basement Kirk Cousins, you're in trouble right now. Agreed. Speaking of somebody who's in trouble right now, The Michigan (laughs) Wolverines. Thank you. I do what I can. The Michigan Wolverines are continuing to get bad stories about them in the media, some of which we are going to update here today because there's been a lot going down. Now, I'm here in Detroit, so we're kind of like the center of it. 
And this has become very much a national story. And I'm still hearing all kinds of nonsense, the unsubstantiated stuff flying around on all kinds of different sides of the argument. And let's get real. Most of the uh, local talk shows are pretty favorable to Michigan. So you're not always getting the side of the story that Michigan doesn't want you to hear. So as a public service, I want to talk about some of the developments that have happened, including some of the ones that are favorable to Michigan. So let's get started here. Uh, Last time I talked very quickly about a breaking story of, you know, Connor Stallions on the sideline of some uh, Mac school. Well, I we've now know that it was Central Michigan University and he was there with like a full Scooby-Doo disguise. Like he had the hat that he looked like he just bought and these Ray-Bans that look like the kind that have a camera in them that can post immediately to the cloud and Central Michigan uh, shirts and whatever, except he was wearing Nike and it's an Adidas school. Um, It was bizarre and he was five feet away from what looked like coordinators for uh central michigan which is weird because anybody in the press who has ever been on the sideline of a game if you're down there they will immediately tell you okay you don't go between the 25s If you have to get from one side of the field to the other, then you are walking as close to the wall as humanly possible, as fast as humanly possible. What's weird is this hit a week ago now. And from that time when Central Michigan has been asked, hey, is this actually Connor Stallions? And if so, why is he there? We have heard radio silence, complete radio silence. I can't prove anything. This is an allegation. But to me, that strongly suggests it's Connor Stallions. Because if it wasn't, then they would have very quickly been able to say, oh, wait, no, this is our third quality control analyst. Mm. Bubkiss McGillicuddy or whatever his name is. And then you say, oh, okay. The fact that he has, that Central Michigan has not identified whoever this is on the sideline is problematic. So, what was the game they were playing? And was he like looking at the other team or what central was Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. This was the game this year where central played Michigan state. Oh, it was in Michigan state. Okay. So he was probably allegedly he was likely there gathering st- signs or whatever from Michigan state yes. or whatever. Uh, okay. Yes. If this was stallions, then most likely this was a game he could attend himself as a quick commute. Yeah. Cause it's right by. Okay. Which, by the way, there is also a very, very chummy relationship between Central Michigan football and Michigan, the University of Michigan. They they very frequently transfer to each other. They very frequently trade coaches up and down. Hmm. I believe the head coach has ties to the University of Michigan program. Interesting. So it's like a minor league team for the Big Ten. Yeah, it's kind of like, exactly, a minor league team. Needless to say, Michigan State is P.O.'d about all this because what are you doing if you're central letting this guy onto the field? And if he didn't get there legitimately, why didn't anybody say anything? Because he's not standing where the guests are standing. He's standing right with the coaches. They had to know. 
I was going to say, I don't think I'd ever want someone from another coaching staff to be on my sidelines during a game. That just seems weird unless he was, you know, greasing those skins a little bit to uh, be on there. So, yeah, it's a weird make-a-wish I mean, foundation. If I was Michigan day, State, wish. by the way, mm-hmm. and we figured out that this was Connor Stallions and Central Michigan was had him there on purpose, mm-hmm. Which I haven't heard anything to it. We don't have the proof that it was all of that, but I haven't heard anything to the contrary. I'm not scheduling Central Michigan ever again. Good point. Why would you? I, I wouldn't, you know, no more million dollar guarantee games, no more joint wrestling meets. I wouldn't schedule Central for a game of jacks if I found out that they were helping my arch rival cheat against me. I'm with you on that. I would not schedule them ever more if I was the MSU director. Have you heard anything about their uh, Michigan State's response on this yet? Or Michigan State's breaking? right right now has been no comment. There's mm. a lo- there's been a lot of pressure by the other Big Ten teams on the Big Ten in commissioner to act. Mm-hmm. More on that in a little bit. One of the things that got was flying around up here for a long time was the rumor that Ryan Day or someone in Ryan Day's family uh, was the start of this investigation and that they somehow illegally obtained uh, a laptop that all of this is based off of and all of that has now been debunked by the NCAA officially. So I I see as someone who's been somewhat on the sidelines of this down in Florida, I saw the headline that said Michigan accuses Ryan Day of hiring a private eye to investigate their program or something like that. And then a day or two later, I saw NCAA debunked it. So my question on this is, even if Ryan Day hired a PI because he was suspicious, is that against the rules? I don't know if it even is. It just, Only, I, I, I have no idea. I mean, it, it was seems weird. But it, even if, if the thing was obtained illegally, then it wouldn't be an NCAA rule. It would be everybody going to jail. Which is what Michigan oh, people illegal, were saying was going to happen. Not for against a while. NCAA rules. They were saying it was against the law. Yeah, like <laughs> they somebody just up and stole the university laptop or something. Oh, okay. Even though, like, I guess a lot of the footage is video of people videotaping <laughs> sidelines from the seats that Connor right. Stallions bought. Like, right. I laugh because I'm seeing a lot of backlash down in the southeast where they're like, "Don't even punish Michigan." because they committed a crime punish them because they were so stupid about it, like leaving paper trails and video evidence and stuff like that. Um, That's one of the big arguments that the university of Michigan fan base is thrown out there mm -hmm. is stallions was a rogue agent. He was a complete rogue. He wasn't telling anybody how he was doing this. Therefore the university's punishment should not be as severe. Oh, this never is mind always... that his paycheck had a Michigan logo on it. And he's standing on the sideline next to the coordinators calling run and pass uh, after watching the play calls signaled in from the other team's sidelines. <laughs> yeah, look, the <laughs> the that? Athletic had a fantastic article about this where they interviewed 50 uh, D1 coaches across America uh, under condition of anonymity, not necessarily head coaches, but coaches. Mm, okay. And the response of everybody's doing it even under condition of anonymity most people were not willing to admit that in fact only about 30 percent of coaches said that there's somebody on their team that whose job is to steal signs i don't know if i believe it's that low Mm -hmm. but it's not everybody well 
is it steal signs or use cameras to fit to yes. steal signs that right? much which is so we talked about the last overtly not legal everybody was like dude what the heck this is yeah. over the line yeah. like, almost 90 percent, if i remember yeah i don't want to deep dive this too much but like it's like the poker thing learning someone's tell is not the same as setting up a camera behind them to look at their cards while you're yes playing. i would agree very different but in any case stallions uh, last Friday at about 6.08, you know, right after the evening news, resigned. Uh, he So he finally fell on the sword. I know I'm generally, be- I genuinely believe he, he resigned. He lawyered up. He's doing, he's saying everything that you would expect somebody employed by the University of Michigan to say. And Michigan then, now this is important because Michigan is, by firing him, ad- tacitly admitting that there was wrongdoing. I was about to say, how does he resign or get fired if he was a rogue agent that had no affiliation with the school? Well, he's not saying there. He's not saying that they had no affiliation. The rogue agent argument is that he wasn't clearing anything he was doing. He just went. Oh, he was just it. doing it. Okay, and they didn't want to question how he knew the other teams played. Right, goals. which so is like, oh, the, really which is my immediate problem because if you're if you've been a football coach for thirty years. And all of a sudden, here comes some guy who nails the other guy's plays on offense and defense with nearly 100% accuracy. And I don't ask. Yeah, how you know this, man? What's going on? That's, yeah, that's willful ignorance as far as I'm concerned. It's not even plausible deniability. Yeah. And then we've, in the past, have gone into all of the circumstantial evidence that shows that almost for sure Michigan did benefit. Really, that's the other half of their argument. The Big Ten is coming down uh, for punishment. They made that notification yesterday uh, officially. Mm-hmm. Michigan is whistling Dixie. Jim Harbaugh's getting ready for, for Penn State, which is their biggest game of the year. It's their first game against anybody that it looks like might deserve to be on the field with Michigan, to be honest. And really, that's the crux of another crux of Michigan's argument that they should be eligible for everything. They're saying they would have beaten every single one of these teams this year handily without any cheating. So therefore, they didn't actually gain an advantage. But if they weren't cheating, how would they know? That means they just beat them legitimately. Sorry, go on. Well, because and Which is important because NCAA violations are categorized by how large of a competitive advantage was gained. Mm-hmm. So anything that downplays the competitive advantage gained is good for Michigan. The Big Ten is coming down, but the Big Ten really, you know, I'm not really looking forward to this, to be honest with you, because the Big Ten can't really do much in the middle of the season without forming a special committee. They have the authority to suspend a coach for up to two games and define the university. Mm. That's it. Anything else, they have to convene a special infractions committee and have the full hearing and all that. And that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to take more than a month, which is all that stands between us and the Big Ten title game. Mm-hmm. Well, what? I saw yeah, something ahead. about they might suspend Harbaugh, which is funny because he was already suspended this year and didn't, people don't even care. <laughs> um, if Michigan felt that the story would permanently go away and that was it, Mich- they would they would consent to a one-game suspension of Jim Harbaugh after the Penn State game. <laughs> after the Penn State, exactly. Because all that really matters is Penn State and Ohio State right now, but um, right. Even if they lose to 
whoever that is, I think Maryland, mm-hmm. then if they beat Ohio State and Penn State, they win the Big Ten. Yeah, well, they still win the, the division, exactly. They'll still be in the Big Ten. Yeah, and the University of Michigan is ready to go to war. They have given, between comments and actions, they have given every indication that they are willing to sue whoever, they are willing to threaten with with long-term consequence, whoever, to get this to go away at least long enough for them to have a clear runway for the title game. So to me, this strikes me more as guilt because I feel like this should have been the initial response months ago, like weeks ago when this no story first started breaking. But now it feels like des- we're our backs up against the wall. So now we're just doing whatever we can to try to threaten people. And it's like a, it feels like browbeating people into silence. <laughs> At least that's what it well, seems like the attempt yeah. is. Maybe, I mean, maybe they feel like they did a really good job of scrubbing and there is no smoking gun because if you do what Michigan is doing and then they find the smoking gun, then it looks really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that came up today that was bizarre or actually late yesterday was a uh, Larry Laosh store, Laga, Lega, L-A-G-E, Larry, it's an AP story mm-hmm. that was written where Somebody was an a former Big Ten coach made an anonymous claim that he received essentially the full Michigan signs via from other Big Ten teams via text and other messages. Uh, whether this was solicited, the, the story did not say. How complete these were, the story did not say, but he eventually ended up sharing the entire document allegedly with the University of Michigan, according to this story, after the game was over. This screams tit for tat to me because this is not an NCAA violation and nobody is saying that this is the same thing as what was going on because nobody was taping signs that we know of in this story. That was not the claim. Nobody was in-person advanced scouting. They were just, you know, getting this information, you know, like a doorstep baby handed to them at the, before the game was started as a kind of collusion against Michigan. We don't know what Big Ten team this guy supposedly worked for. We don't know what the result of that game was. He said, I think it was last year or the year before. So it was 2022. I have it up. And it was a Big Ten opponent, so you can narrow it down to however many opponents the Big Ten or Michigan played in Big Ten schedule. They don't right. play everyone because we have too many teams in our conferences now. Right. So the argument here for Michigan and what they want to throw out, why they want to make this story top of everybody's news feed, is this isn't an NCAA violation, but it is a Big Ten violation under the same rule that if they're going to do anything against Michigan, you know, that it's the same rule. So this plays full blast into the everybody's doing it argument. If you're good, you want to come after us. Okay. We're going to come after the whole league. Every, we will show that everybody's doing it. That's the threat. Well, I guess I have a couple thoughts on this one. If they're going to go with the everybody's doing it argument, that's admitting they do it which is already just that's a problem if they have to resort to that that means they're guilty um it's like going to the uh 
going to traffic court and, and saying, well, I was going 75 and a 65, but that's what everyone was going. And the judge just says, okay, you admitted you were going over 10 over guilty. Boom. Pay the fine. Um, and it's weird that this employee at a rival school would give this information to Michigan, but not like the big 10 or NCAA. It, it I don't know. It feels weird. I don't know why they would feel the urge to do that to Michigan unless it's just made up. I don't know why they would do that. They claim yeah, this one. I don't understand. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't understand. It's very convenient timing for this story yeah. to come out. But why would he give it to Michigan? I don't understand it. Like, does he want to work for Michigan now or something like guilty conscience? We did this now change your signals. I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but yeah. look, it basically comes down to this, guys. Because we're running way over on our on this story, so we got to wrap this up. We have an evidence bonanza against Michigan. There, it's At this point, Michigan is all but admitting something screwy took place. They're handing the NCAA Connor Stallions. We'll see what happens from there. Everything else is just coding really sugar coating it michigan might have won those games the games but it's pretty clear that unless millions of hours of work and reports are wrong michigan cheated so if you're bragging about games where you know your team cheated you know what does that say it says are you the kind of person that doesn't care about cheating if you win i don't like where that goes for anybody in any case, if you want to tell me I'm wrong, tell Rosie he's wrong. If you want to talk, to, if you think we are the only people telling the truth on the Michigan story, give us a, a shout out on our social medias or our email, MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. That is MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. But let's get out of the college football stuff and on to the fun stuff. Week nine in the NFL. Let's talk about some games, starting with the Titans and the Steelers all the way back last Thursday on the 2nd, 8.15 p.m., where Will Levis gets a little bit pumpkinified by the Steeler defense. Hey, man, Steelers defense is legit. I mean, hey, Will Levis had that great rookie debut throwing four touchdown passes. Kind of came crashing down to earth this week where he scored through zero in an interception. Um and a loss to the Steelers. Um, don't bet against Tomlin Voodoo. I will say that. <laughs> you know, uh, Pickett. What was we talking about? Like, I think was it you and I talking about that? How um, there's the stats like C.J. Stroud's already thrown more career touchdown passes than second year quarterback Kenny Pickett. Yeah, that was me. Kenny Pickett has six fourth quarter comebacks already, which is a lot for a second year player who's played a year and a half <laughs> season. Yeah, and a half. that 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 figure six fourth quarter comebacks is second in the NFL since the start of last year. Yeah. And even though the team victory was engined primarily by the defense, it was nice to see not one, but both running backs find the end zone, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. They looked a little bit better than they had in the past, uh, you know, and I think a lot of that might be because uh, Deontay Johnson is starting to look like Deontay Johnson, who finally ended his touchdown list streak by getting 90 yards and scoring his first touchdown in a season and a half. Um, I think the the touchdown list count was over 400 some days, you know, and uh, and I think that 
that's led to a slight uptick in the offensive efficiency, although they didn't exactly win this game by offense, but it's, you know, they just need a competent offense. And I mentioned the Deontay Johnson, 90 yards, lots of targets, because on the flip side, you had um, George Pickens, who was starting to become a target monster in Deontay Johnson's absence. And he's starting to turn into a pumpkin where he only got three targets to the game. Um, he did have a touchdown called back, which annoys me because high schoolers can do toe drag. I go out to flag football and you see guys doing it all the time. And he originally was called touchdown, but then they ruled he didn't get his second toe down and he didn't even try. He just put it down like a normal thing. Like drag your toe. You're professional. I assume if he caught that touchdown pass and it stood, maybe there'd be less for drama. Do you want to talk about what ended up happening after the game? After a win, I should say, which always annoys me when receivers do this, Mr. Diggs in Minnesota. There are some really great Pittsburgh Steelers traditions, like the terrible towel and the slashes in the end zone. Toughness and defense in general. But another great tradition is turning into wide receiver drama. Pickens basically went nuclear on his social media, unfriended everybody, took all the Pittsburgh logos off and basically and said either to the at the podium or on his social media accounts, free me. Mm -hmm. I think it was social media. I think he unfriended Pickett and Tomlin and like you said, all the Steelers stuff. Those are two of the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> This is after a win, remember, to which Heinz Ward clapped back on, I think, on his social media. It's not about you. Yes. You, let's remember, 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 former Super Bowl MVP for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Heinz Ward, who also played wide receiver for the Steelers. Just to put yeah. some weight behind this young man. Second year, but yeah, they've also had their share of crazy. I mean, Antonio Brown could fill a book by himself. I mean, um, Plexico Burris shot himself. I mean, he was a giant at the time, but he also, you know, played. He was also in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Claypool. Mm. Oh, who gosh. else am I missing? Claypool. I I don't want to put uh, other former Super Bowl MVP uh, Santonio Holmes under that. I think his most stuff was uh, allegedly getting busted for smoking weed, but allegedly. But Which is nothing now compared to it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not even illegal. In most states. Um, I wouldn't say give him the crazy, but yeah, there's plenty of crazies. Does Tomlin just do a good job putting up with him or does he drive his wide receivers crazy? <laughs> or is this maybe why the Steelers are always finding these gems in the mid to late rounds because they're not exactly. <laughs> they're not exactly goods. taking off. They're not exactly taking off points for insanity. Are they? Exactly. So, I mean, it's just kind of funny to think a year ago, it was Deontay Johnson and uh, George Pickens and Claypool. Look at this great young crop of wide receivers. And now Claypool's gone and Pickens is throwing a tantrum on social media. And it's just uh, why we can't have we nice things, you know? I mean, I, I totally hear that. I mean, I got to believe that Tomlin will get the young man under wing and say kid look what's going on here relax we won you'll get yours you were a part of it even if you don't get the targets you're affecting the game because you're the deep threat cool it and he either will 
or he'll be traded to for a second round pick to another stupid team. The problem is it's past the trade window and the bears already traded their second round pick to Washington. So the bears can't repeat the Claypool stupidity. So sorry, sorry Steelers, but I'm sure someone else will bite. <laughs> yeah. Carolina, maybe no wait. I think the bears already got theirs. No, the bears have their first round pick and next year's second round pick. I don't think, I think Carolina saw is their first round or second rounder this year. So they could still for piss now. that away for a quote, number one receiver that they're looking for. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. In so, any case, congratulations to the Steelers because they pulled off a very nice win against a Titans team that looked red hot. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Chase Claypool, onto the Bears, uh, uh, the other former Claypool team because he's now a Dolphin. Um, the Bears um, played a fairly close game against the Saints on the road. Bajan looked good in the first half, but he... Um, Looked at times like an undrafted rookie free agent out of uh, D2 college out of Shepard because he had um, good plays. And then like he had three interceptions and one of them was just like perfectly blocked play. He stood in the pocket so long. He just threw the ball right to the cornerback and he's using his legs more to move the chains. But, you know, he's no Justin Fields when it comes to that. So like, I think that three games in, I think the Bears did find a gem, a diamond in the rough, but they didn't find the next Tom Brady. They found maybe the next Gardner Minshew, and I think he has a good career as a cheap backup uh, quarterback who's competent and could grow. But I'm, I want to see Fields back, but um, I was kind of interested to see how the Bears' defense would handle um, the Saints' offense, especially with the Montez Sweat trade, because now the, quote, defense – is plugged all the holes in the off season. And I wanted to see how this would go. And it didn't, it was fine. I feel like the saints defense outperformed the bears defense, but the bears defense looked pretty good. Now, one thing that was a shame was they're missing um, Tremaine Edwin Ed, Edmonds, the big many free agent linebacker. And I think to me that almost decided the game because I feel like when I was watching this game, which I got to watch it pretty intently, the the Saints offense wasn't scaring me until they got into the red zone. And then number three, Derek Carr, turned into number seven. And that was Taysom Hill. And I, I, I was reading, listening to our uh, podcast last week. And that was something we had we were talking about was how well the Bears defensive uh, linebacker pickups would match up against Taysom Hill's Swiss Army knife routine. And yeah, that was my one more thing. Yeah. And when Edmonds wasn't there, they didn't match up well. And Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill shredded the Bears defense when he came in the game. I mean, it was legitimately scary every time he was there. And I think that it'd be interesting to see how that game would have been with simply Fields and Tremaine Edmonds. I, I feel like that was a very winnable game for Chicago. Um, it was a loss. I don't consider it a total loss. I thought there was a loss with silver lining to it to me. I don't feel as gloom and doomy as I have in other losses. Um, just to put a tie up, a bow on that. Um, Montez Sweat played fine, but I'm going to get into like, I kind of, the game, having got to watch the last two games, I wanted to see if what I was seeing on the field was matching the PFF grades. So I kind of took a little deep hmm. dive on this. And the focus to me on defense was on the Montez Sweat addition, right? Makes sense. 
the other big defensive end acquisition was Yannick Ndakwe. He is Ndakwe is currently 103rd out of 107 qualified graded defensive ends. He has been, quite frankly, terrible. His best grade is in coverage. <laughs> He's a pass rusher. I don't know what's going on with Ndakwe, but I don't know if he's playing hurt, but to me, that's a big issue that the bears are having. Um, Sweat is by far the best graded defensive end. Um, Now, what I found interesting was um, on the other, uh, in the, in the secondary. So I think one of my theories with the Jalen Johnson thing was the bears are trying to drag this out to get evaluation on other young cornerbacks and defensive backs. Uh, Terrell Smith, fifth round rookie out of Minnesota, Tyreek, Stevenson, cornerback out of Miami, second round pick. Kyler Gordon, second round pick out of Washington the year before, right? Well, out of those four yeah. cornerbacks, Tyreek Stevenson, who makes a lot of highlights, is a hundred and third or second out of 114 cornerbacks. He has not played well. You know where Jalen Johnson is on this end of the thing? No clue. Second, pay the man. Done. I've had enough. We don't need to wait to see what the other guys are doing. Terrell Smith has actually been pretty good. He's 29th. But the other two second rounders are 69 and 102nd. They're not exactly showing flashes, and they're not. And Jalen Johnson has just been amazing. <laughs> he has the second highest graded corner, you know, out of all of them. So to me, this it, is not where I thought this was going to go. No, that was shocking to me. Is uh, pay the man uh, as a follow up from last week, and then the other grading. He that- definitely made the uh, Montez Sweat press conference as uncomfortable as he could possibly make it. <laughs> And when I see the grading, I see why he has been playing really well. If we're going to pay Tremaine Edmonds off a career year last year, we should pay our own guys, you know? And um, similarly, Tevin Jenkins, fourth out of 80 amongst qualified interior linemen. Um, But what I, this is just going to be mean, but Roshan Johnson for all the hype he's had as a rookie out of Texas He's middle of the road, 35th. He has a couple good highlights. But this is why I wasn't trying to hate on Roshan. But Deontay Foreman is ninth. Khalil Herbert, who's coming back from IR this week, is sixth. They have two of the top 10 graded running backs on the roster, and they're playing well, you know. So I, I just think it's early to be pushing Roshan into the into the role. And even Darrington Evans has a higher grade um, if he qualified than Roshan. So the Bears defensive running backs have been very good. And I'm not trying, this isn't saying Roshan's been bad. He's just not earning it because the other guys are just so good. In addition to, you know, um, DJ Moore's a top 10 receiver. Um, and then just going back, tying a bow off of this for all the, um, Oh, go on. Well, I, the thought that occurred to me is did the bears realize that they, that their running back room was this good when they drafted Roshan? Well, but that's the other thing, too, is everyone's talking about him like they drafted him in the first round. He was a mid-round pick. He he was one of two fourth-round picks taken. It was a flyer, and the Bears even spelled Fair. his name wrong when they drafted him. They were just like, I guess this guy's <laughs> available. Let's pick him up. I mean, that's why I don't understand all offseason the fantasy guys. I liked his film. I thought he was good, but I didn't understand – why they thought the bears had a role for him. I think he is a solid flyer as a third guy. And I think he can develop into the best of the three, but it's just one of those things where I think people have been blind to what Foreman and Herbert have done at the pro level, the last couple of years, including this year. So that's just my running back rant. Um, Bajan's been fine. Khalil or Justin Fields 
after three year, three games of Tyson Bajant, we have a sample size. Bajant's best career stat is running the football, which is not bad. But guess what? Justin Fields can do the same thing, too. So uh, that's yeah, exactly. And Fields has been fine. And especially with all the bad running back quarterback play we've seen this week now, Fields is going to look like a turbocharger when he finally plays. But that's we can talk more about that later. But sorry for the deep dive for all those people. But I just thought that was very interesting, breaking down the Bears roster and seeing where their weaknesses actually are and their strengths are. They're not what we think they are. So Well, I just dope deep dive the college football scandal on an NFL podcast. So yours is more at home, at least. That's fair. So one of the official teams we cover. So we'll get into more of these uh, with other. I'll look into more of these for the other teams, you know, uh, as we go on. I don't want to do too many per week. So maybe I'll do no, another one next Yeah, week. that was really helpful because it definitely changed a lot of the perspective. Yeah, and it blew my mind, too, because a lot of it was what I thought I was seeing and others were kind of like, oh, Indakwe's not playing. Maybe if he played as well as Sweat did, we would be pressuring Carr a lot more and we would have won that game anyways. You know, stuff like that. So Maybe. So um, on to the next game. Speaking of bad quarterback play and defi- well, defensive lines, and in this case, dominance. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. The Browns hosted the Cardinals and sacrificial lamb Clayton Toon at quarterback to a historic beatdown defensively. Not only was it a shutout, there was 58 yards allowed total. Yes. <laughs> Am I reading that right? Wow. You are reading that right. 58 yards allowed by the Browns in a shutout in which the Browns generated seven sacks, three takeaways, and never let the Cardinals get past the Cleveland 40-yard line for the entire game. Field goal range. (laughs) They never got within field goal range. It was as dominant of a performance on defense that I have seen in the last 20 years. You'd have to go back to some of the prime Ravens and Buccaneers defenses in the early 2000s, which was a radically different game with radically more difficult passing. I mean, that's varsity defense playing the freshman offense. <laughs> Something like can that. You, can you let us complete a pass, please? Just so we can feel good about ourselves? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, wow. What do you say to that? I don't even have anything to add, but that defense, we know it was good all year. It was carrying it. And like, I guess my questions more are on the Carolina side. They, they traded Josh Dobbs. They, they, they flipped the keys over to Clayton tune. And there's a lot of rumors that it, he was just a sacrificial lamb. Cause they didn't want to bring Kyler Murray back with a, you know, coming back from an ACL against that defensive front. And if that is true, they are playing 3d chess because that was a smart move. <laughs> Poor Clayton tune. Yeah. Poor Clayton. Somewhere in Cle- on the football field in Cleveland, there is an outline indent of Clayton Toon's body on the turf. I got to tell you, I went to Justin Fields' first career start as a rookie. It was in Cleveland. Luke and I went there. Oh yeah, he got this is the one where this is the one where I think he still took a sack in that game, like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, he's still getting sacked. He got, I think, nine sacks. This is uh, his, I think the Bears' offense was still slightly better than the uh, Cardinals' offense was. I mean, this is twice in the last two and a half years that the Browns' defense has had historic beatdowns on poor rookie quarterbacks. Do not start your first career game against the Browns' defense. That is my recommendation to you young kids out there looking to play quarterback as late round or even early round quarterbacks. 
in the NFL. That's not a good way to start your career. On the flip side of the football, how do you think Deshaun Watson looked in his final return and finally completed a game after a month without leaving? Yeah, he finally showed up, showed out in a very limited, I mean, with that defense, it's not like they needed him to do much. That's true. But he was completing passes you know, in, in time and in rhythm in different parts of the field, short, intermediate, long. He was, The ball had good velocity. It was mostly finding the targets. If he continues to play like that, the, this is going to be a very difficult Cleveland team to beat. But again, 58 yards allowed. <laughs> it's not like he was down 14 and throwing to stay in it. Well, and it's funny too, because as dominant as that defensive performance was, the Browns running game was averaging like two and a half yards per carry. I mean, Ford had 2.2, Hunt had 2.7, which we talked about this as a kind of a running thing was Hunt was getting more and more of the running share. Um, it right. was 20 to 14 in favor of Jerome Ford and Ford added another seven targets to Kareem Hunt's one. So it, it looks like now that Ford's healthy, he might be, he might just be the guy and Hunt is back in his old role. Like he was when Chubb was the guy back up and third down. Yeah. 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 But he still gets a lot of work though. They do run the ball. I mean, 14 carries in a touch in a target, 15 touches is a lot for a running back these days. You know what I mean? For fantasy purposes. So. Well, right. And we did see Pierre Strong turn back into a pumpkin because last week, remember, there was three running backs in the community. Right. Even with this kind of controlled blowout, they just, you know, they didn't yeah. need him. Yeah. They just gave 34 to the other two guys. So good, good for them. You know, if this was great defense, the our next game, Rams at the Packers, was pretty much just bad offense. <laughs> I watched this game and it was herky jerky, it was ugly. There were penalties all over the place. And I don't mean, you know, the what are you doing penalties. I mean, what is, you know, the kind of penalties that make you question the coaching? Like, yes, are they not coaching. prepared? Yes, yes. I mean, well, defense showed out. We're not coming to Giants. So it just made me laugh because um, I was listening to um, the Bill Simmons podcast with Cousin Sal, who's always hilarious sports gambler. And Sal had, um, he was believing in the, Browns defense. He had like a bet for like the Cardinals would be the lowest scoring team this week. Plus like he'd make $500 per $100 bet or something like that. And he was sweating it out because the Rams and the Giants could barely pull off the field goals. <laughs> Cause you know, and um, you know, the, this final was 20 to three. I mean, the uh, Packers defense absolutely terrorized poor Brett Rippon who completed less than 40% of his passes made 130 yards. He only had one sack, but like could not move the ball for his life. Despite having Puka and Cooper cup out there as his stud receivers. Remember they traded away. Um, what's his name? Rasul Douglas to uh, Buffalo cornerback. And Eric Stokes was on IR. We talked about last week. So it's not like the Packers were ramping up at the trade deadline to boost their defense in this beatdown victory. No, but they also, but the Rams also had no running game to speak of with the guys that they have. They are mm-hmm. absolutely missing Kyron Williams, and Ripon is not the quarterback you want if you know you're going to be one dimensional. 
Yeah. And I think this also, I, I want to go back to one of your points you've mentioned, like, like going back to it when it's right. The Packers defense is great when playing from ahead. And that was just another data point validating that theory. They got up. Even more than that, this Rams team is absolutely not set up to take advantage of the weaknesses of the Packer defense right up the middle. Mm -hmm. They don't have the power running offensive line. They've got a good pass blocking offensive line, mm -hmm. but they and they don't have a running back capable of gashing you. Yeah, I mean Royce Freeman is not the answer. <laughs> not to any question that involves winning. Yep. And um, I will give uh, Jordan Level a credit. I didn't get to watch the game, but it was awful. But he did complete 75%, 76% of his passes. So, I mean, a guy who's had accuracy issues, that was nice to see. Um, although, if you're a fantasy owner of any of his receivers, you're probably considering dropping them. I mean, Christian Watson had two targets and one catch for 37 yards. Jaden Reed, Romeo Dubs each caught all three of their passes, but they only got three passes and they were all underneath for a total of 50, 60 yards for the six catches combined to those two guys. So it's, um, it's getting a little rough out there for uh, fantasy owners. Cause uh, Jordan love does not seem good enough to engine these guys, but not to carry we, three receivers. Yeah. Doesn't seem like he can carry one receiver at this point, but he does spread it out a little bit. But at the same time, he got the win, and we saw a lot worse quarterbacks, including the one across the ball from him. So, <laughs> yeah, who was scapegoated immediately at the post game presser by McVeigh. And as oh, I was signing McVay? up for McVeigh, offer a sacrificial scapegoat. Where have I heard this before? Oh, yeah, like every other week. <laughs> right. So today, as we were getting ready to set up the podcast, I saw that they had signed Carson Wentz. Yep, there you go. Dumb question. I guess it comes full circle. They could have had him at number one overall five, six years ago. Instead, they chose to get Jared Goff and run him out of town. <laughs> hey, they eventually won a Super Bowl, not throwing stones. Whatever happened to Stetson Bennett? I thought he was the backup there. Did he did he wash out or get injured? This is a random he, Oh, This is kind of an interesting story, actually, because... He stepped away from the team for non-football reasons and nobody's saying anything. Oh, wow. It says likely out for the season as I'm looking up a quick headline. So I have no idea what is going on there. Do you think all. he's going back to Georgia for an eighth year to finally complete his degree? That was a joke. He's yeah. not going to finish that degree. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to get the first degree, let alone the sixth degree of separation. That's the only degree he's getting. It's a degree of separation. Boom. Nice. Well, I wish you the luck, Rams. You got uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, at least he's in a backup role. Hopefully he doesn't play for you because we saw how that's gone the last few years at the last few stops. Um, yeah, it we... has not been it has not been pretty there. Uh, I do want to say oh. that AJ, last thing here, was AJ Dillon, nine carries for 40 yards in a close game. Hey, Looks like uh, Aaron Jones got the bulk of the carries and scored a touchdown, so it's good to see him back. Exactly. 20 carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown on the ground, plus another four catches for 26 yards. I mean, I'm gonna... So they found the right running back eventually, and lo and behold, they had at least a little bit of success. And I'm going to take this small sample size hyperbol hyperbolically for a second. Aaron Jones has basically played two full games healthy. They're two and zero. Oh. 
and they're one and five in the other ones. That's all you need to know. Give the ball to Aaron Jones, baby. You can beat the uh, terrible Bears week one and the terrible Rams week nine. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So let's. Speaking of bad quarterback style. play. Oh, gosh. Josh Dobbs. Minnesota Vikings. Versus With Taylor that. Heineke. Which Go. you got to give Dobbs all the credit in the world, man. I mean, he w- was brought in not even in the beginning of the week, kind of in the middle of the week by the time they actually I mean, got him like in there. Or Wednesday. And for the record, I said, speaking of bad quarterback play, I should not lead with Josh Dobbs. That's throwing him under the bus for no reason. Yeah. Because he didn't even start the game. Rookie no, Jaren the starter Hall. Jaren Hall did. And he got banged up. I, he got annihilated on the goal line. I saw that play, and I was like, "Whoo!" He he looked like an old man trying to get off the field. Like that's that's one of those that rattles you. And they were right to pull him out for the concussion protocol. Um, he uh, he was actually six for five for six with seventy eight yards when he got injured and you know got knocked down on the goal line. I mean, it's a shame for him because he might have shown some flashes, but. Josh Dobbs invades another host body from Cleveland to Tennessee to Arizona to now Minnesota, where he just keeps coming in with no preparation, winning games. Didn't even know the players on the team, most of their names, you know? That's next week. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe he shouldn't learn their names. He's better that way. You know, and also he got out of playing that he, he, he got out of the sacrificial role against the uh, Browns defense that Clayton Toon took over, you know, and we, as we covered earlier. So so not only did he get a win, but he also got to keep knees that only bend in one direction. Fact. Um, and what's crazy is that uh, he led the lead, he led them in rushing because their running backs haven't been good. And then they just lost Cam Akers. Um Put up six, what, yeah. I mean, if you don't know the playbook, win it out, take off running, you know? And um, I'm going to say this before we continue to, uh, down the, on the Vikings. I'm going to take a quick sidestep. I was looking at the schedule, and you mentioned um, Lamar Jackson earlier and how rushing quarterbacks give the Lions problems and hoping not to play the Eagles in the playoffs. Well, you got two games left against Justin Fields, and now you got two bonus games against Josh Dobbs. So you're going to have four more games against mobile quarterbacks. So that's a little bit uh, more scary than we originally thought when we first talked about this a couple weeks ago. Do you have any thoughts on that as I blindside you with that point? I would say that Josh Dobbs is not Lamar Jackson. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, he did rush seven times for 66 yards of touchdown, which was really good. But he also lost. He also fumbled it three times, losing two. So not exactly Lamar Jackson type stats. But no, I mean, it's a good story. Um, It could have been Jaron Hall. Poor guy. Um, The other quarterback that played for the Vikings was Cam Akers, who uh, took a sack on his one snap at quarterback. I guess he was the emergency or it was trick play. I missed that play. Um, but then he tore his ACL and we talked Achilles. Sorry. We talked about that, but like, what do you think this implications has for the Vikings going forward? Because obviously with Kirk cousins going down, the first thought is leaning more on the running game. Well, they just traded for a guy to lean more on the running game. Alexander Madison hasn't been great. What do you think there? What do you think this means for the Vikings? I think this is an opportunity for some of the other running backs on the roster that are young and hungry and talented that we've liked. Mm-hmm. 
the only running backs that actually got a carry last week were Madison and Akers. Mm-hmm. Madison got full-time running back work, but he still stunk. He, 16 Another, carries, 44 yards. And failed to break three yards per carry again. Madison he did kind of salvage his day with a 49 yards receiving and a score. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Alexander Madison has yet to score a rushing touchdown this year. And it's not for lack of effort oh my God. down there. They yeah, give that's... him the ball. He's just been that bad. So some of your guys like, oh, is it Ty Chandler? Ty Chandler, Tajay Spears. I think he might have gotten injured. Um, uh, Kene Nuango, I think, was the other guy. That He's a special teamer, but a lot of people like him. Yeah, I, I think this is a real opportunity for Chandler. I think um, so, too. And he's, he's shown flashes in games he's been in. Try to cut you off. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the, the thing that I start thinking about, what's his size? Because we've seen a lot of he's guys. Okay. He's like, in... I think he's his average build. I don't think he's small. But he's oh, nice. 5'11", 204. Okay, yeah. Because we've seen a lot of guys come in like uh, the Baltimore running back and have huge speedy gains and big plays and look and flash. Mm-hmm. But you look at them and they're like, oh, wait, he's 5'8 and 180 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Not gonna, he's not going to carry the ball 20 times. And so you're hoping that he takes one of his 10 carries to the house. That's not necessarily what you want. But Chai Chandler is actually capable of going the whole load. Yeah. And he's always had a pretty good um, tackle avoidant rate or whatever you want to call it and stuff. So uh, it'll be interesting, I think. It, it's a it's a potential upgrade at running back to be honest but even then even though cam Akers went down madison's still getting 16 carries a game they're still tied to him i mean maybe he has some blackmail on yeah. the coach or something. nearly so 20 touches so yeah so it might not matter i mean he still had he, he was he had two he did have a 47 yard catch uh touchdown catch so he did find the end zone just not rushing the ball but yeah, he's got probably three or four, if I remember, rushing, uh, receiving touchdowns so far this year. Mm, okay. So he does have some receiving skills, and they do look for him as they start to approach the, the end zone. Okay. Uh, but I do want to really quickly point out once again, Tyler Algier, 12 carries, 39 yards, and a touchdown. B. Sean Robinson, 11 carries, 51 yards. Well, well, I have a question for you. I'm not good at math. So it says here Bijan averaged 4.6 yards per carry and Tyler Algier averaged 3.3. What's better? I don't know, but the one guy with 3.3 had higher, had more carries again. So I assume that by Arthur Smith math, that it must mean he's better, right? In, oh, wait, no, we have a bottom four offense and uh, they consistently don't use, give the ball to their better players. And this is, I, this is just pure ego at this point. I don't know what else to do because it's not like Bijan, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London have been terrible. These are not Jalen Rager or even Quentin Johnson like balling out. Sorry, TCU receivers. Um, these guys have shown flashes. Pitts had a thousand yard rookie uh, season. Drake London is a really great underrated um advanced metrics guys when he's out there and Bijan's just been a highlight reel ever since he's been out there, but he at least gets the ball, but it's splitting even with a guy. It's not nearly enough. 
not it's, nearly enough. And it's just, it's, I don't get it. Like, I mean, props to John o. Smith for his another hundred yard touchdown game, but Pitts is shown to be a better tight end. We've seen it in the past and we've seen Drake London ball out when he gets a chance. We've seen Bijan this year outperform Tyler Algier and Correll Patterson consistently. I don't get it. They deserve to lose. There was a play. I watched a sequence where they were up early and uh, Dobbs was still fumbling around. Literally he fumbled. I think he took a safety on the previous, uh, previous drive. So they were down, they're up eight to three. Minnesota looked completely rudderless. This is a perfect chance for them to really just stick it to them. They ran back-to-back plays where they gave the ball to um, Jonu Smith on a carry at the tight end. And then they did a jet sweep attempt to Cordell Patterson. And they got stuffed both times. And then they just tried to run Talia Algier up the middle. And I'm standing there going, you guys deserve to lose. How do you run these plays and not give the ball to Bijan Pitts? Whatever. Like, it was so stupid on three plays. And guess what? They settled for a field goal and they lost. So good job, Josh Dobbs. Good job, Minnesota. I've seen Minnesota on the other end of losses like this. But no offense, Minnesota. Atlanta should have won this game, but they didn't and they won't. And Minnesota might make the playoffs. If I'm the Atlanta general manager... I'm pissed at this coach because I've drafted Bijan Robinson with a high first round pick. Kyle Pitts was highly drafted. Drake Fourth London was highly drafted. Top ten, and they and they are all being used like bench warmers. And their head coach just sits at the podium and he goes, oh, "I don't play fantasy football. I play real football. I'm here to win." And it's like, okay, you're a sub five hundred. Your defense is great. Your offensive line is great. You refuse to use elite playmakers on offense. Guess what? This team is easily could easily be a six or seven win team if they just leaned into their actual talent. And that's why it's as embarrassing at this point. I don't know what else to say. It's not one of our teams. No one watches the Falcons anyways. Sorry for any if there was a Falcon fan that watching this. I was happy to see Minnesota win. They were left for dead a few weeks ago. They've won, I think, four straight. Now they're five and four. And they are haunting your Lions um, in the in the NFC North, or else you would have had it locked up a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, Josh Dobbs, great Vikings story. have gotten enough unlikely wins from unlikely sources. You have to give the team credit. The defense has played fairly well. The offense continues to claw away. They get enough lucky bounces. You need those. That's not a dig. Mm -hmm. And here we are. They're back to a winning record and looking at, you know, taking Justin Jefferson out of the freezer instead of just putting him on lockdown and bubble wrap for the next year. Well, it's funny to me because they're winning games that you don't expect them to win, just like last year. But it's not 13 and four when it comes to win loss, it's, you know, five and four, but they're winning without Kirk cousins. They're winning without Justin Jefferson. They're winning without a running game. Like I'm actually much more impressive pressed by the grit of this year's slightly above 500 team than the one that was 13 and four. I don't know right. why maybe I'm irrational, but I kind of enjoy this. <laughs> well, because I, to me, I get it because it this was a Vikings team that, has continued to deal with major injury after major injury. They've been beat down. They've been handed all kinds of adversity. And compared to last year when they were a good team, 
but they also got every single break going their way as evidenced by their what 11 and 0 record in one score games last year. Yeah. That's a good point. This year, their breaks are going against them and they're winning in spite of it. And I think that's why it's more fun to watch. That's how you get fans. Yeah. That's how you win fans. So let's start with the afternoon game, the Colts at the Panthers at which was the final score of what? Uh, Panthers 13, Kenny Moore 12. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. So Kenny Moore, uh, first cornerback in uh, Colts history to have two pick sixes in the same game. Uh, The poor Panthers defense only gave up 13 points, but Kenny Moore scored, you know, 14 of them on himself on the other side of the ball. And uh, it resulted in a 27 to 13 uh, blowout victory for the uh, Colts. This is interesting because um, let's lump the, the Texans into this because we had three teams draft rookie quarterbacks in the top four. Two of them were playing each other today. Unfortunately, Anthony Richardson wasn't there. It didn't matter. Gardner Minshew and the Colts basically without a four, top four pick won easily um, on the strength of that defense. And uh, Jonathan Taylor found the end zone on a pass catch from uh, Minshew. And it's looking good. On the flip side of the ball, I don't have this in the notes, but man, trading up to get Bryce Young is looking bad. It is starting to look epically bad as CJ Stroud throws for almost 500 yards and 800,000 touchdowns. And uh, Anthony Richardson looked great. Will Levis had a good game and a half now. I mean, this is this is getting bad. And if you're on the Carolina side of the ball, what do you what's your take on all this stuff? I'm throwing a bunch of stuff, but complicated. Uh, Anthony Richardson was placed in by far the best situation of the three quarterbacks that was drafted highly. Mm-hmm. If especially looking at it now, it's pretty clear that the that the um, the Colts had an offensive line and a defense at least, plus some receivers, plus Jonathan Taylor to support Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. So really, we're talking about Stroud and. Bryce Young, neither of which inherited much of a core around him. Mm-hmm. Well, CJ Stroud looks like he who has called I am. I mean, he <laughs> is the dude. And guys, if he continues this level of play once teams get tape on him and what he does, because right now all Houston's doing is just throwing the ball all over the yard. It's playground ball over there. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing Four, what was it? 470 yards and five touchdowns from Stroud. Yes. You might, you can start to make the case that he is already a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And no running game that's to be expected against the, uh, the, uh, the Bucks. And they, they had, and it's not just that he puts up these empty stats. I mean, he rallied down and threw a game winning touchdown with 10 seconds left to fellow rookie Tank Dell. I mean, it's it's clutch too. It's weird to see a guy that shredded the vaunted Georgia defense can actually play football. It's weird. Just throwing that out there. Imagine that. But getting back to the Panthers, I feel like it's not going to be fair to judge Bryce Young based on this year because there is such a depleted core around him. Okay, we figured out 
He's not on path to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay. You can still be a really good quarterback, but they're going to have to get him some help. I, mean, I think it was devastating trading away DJ Moore in hindsight because who do they have on that offense that's going to beat single coverage with any regularity? As I mentioned earlier, DJ Moore, number nine in PFF grading amongst receivers right now. They could really use a guy like that there. Yeah, and it's and if nobody's open, it's not like Young is going to take off and run because if he actually gets hit, he's going to you know, spend the rest of his life reaching up to tie his shoes. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because we've seen other quarterbacks have bad rookie years. I mean, we've seen Jared Goff. We've seen Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, sorry, maybe that's not a good example. But Trubisky did get better in his second and third year. But it's just that it's looking like C.J. Stroud might be Mahomes, mini Mahomes now. So it's not it's, – it's getting a little rough if you're uh, there because, you know, if you're a Panther fan, but uh, moving on to the Sunday night game, this was the marquee matchup, the Buffalo bills playing the suddenly red hot coming out of the bye week fully healthy Bengals. And uh, what's your, did you get to watch this or do you get to, I think you watched the first half, right? Yeah, I got, I got the first half before I had to take care of some personal matters. Uh, But yeah, this was a really interesting game to watch. I was really into it. Both teams, the defenses were playing pretty good, especially against the run. The running game was pretty well shut down both ways, but we still ended up with a lot of star players making big plays. T Higgins on the Cincinnati side went off on the Buffalo side, Dalton Kincaid, Stefan Diggs, as always. And I got to say, it wasn't just in the stat line. T Higgins made a couple really beautiful catch and runs. Like he looked Every bit the part and explosiveness, and it was good to see him looking good. And to me, I think the underrated um, hero of the game was the Cincinnati's defense because I don't think Josh Allen and the Bills played a necessarily bad game. I think that they just did a good job slowing the Bills and preventing major plays, and then they made good plays at the right time. Like, I mean, the game really hinged on one of aforementioned rookie Dalton Kincaid's. He had a great night, but he had a catch and run where the ball got punched out. The um, Bengals jumped on that, and that was late in the game That when uh, the Buffalo was appearing to get going, and I think that kind of sealed it. I mean, it was like with four or five minutes to go, and it also sealed one of my fantasy losses by .3 points because uh, I lost three two points on that fumble. But we don't need to talk about fantasy football. We're trying to talk about the Bengals' big win. And, Absolutely. Um, and I just think that the Bill Bengals look like a complete overall team. I I completely agree. Uh, which is a far cry because way back in the beginning of the season, we were talking about Cincinnati not being able to stop anybody. Well, a little bit of offensive balance has helped the defense on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have seemed to simply have figured out a lot of stuff. And I'm wondering if um, they might be my next PFFD dive, but I'm I, I'm guessing that some of these guys, they lost in the secondary. Maybe the young guys are actually stepping up into those roles and it just took them a couple extra weeks. And it's interesting to me because Could I feel be. like, you know, a lot of times we see these defenses carrying a bad offense and it and mid midway through the season, you start to see the cracks in the defense fall apart as they just can't carry the team anymore. We saw that Monday night when the jets got down <laughs> um, and they just fell apart. And um, this is the reversal of that, where the defense kind of galvanized week three or four, 
kept the team afloat to the bye week. And now with Burrow and Higgins fully healthy, the team just looks legit. Like I know record wise, they're only five and three. There's still a lot of ways to climb, but I think they're more complete than the chiefs. The chiefs have a really good defense and Pat Mahomes, but their playmakers have not been explosive outside of Travis Kelsey. Um, you can't say that about Jamar Chase and T Higgins. <laughs> so yeah, I do think if, that the Bengals are looking great. Yeah. And if Travis Kelsey goes down, the chiefs are in trouble. Or if you get a team that somehow manages to neutralize Kelsey, the chiefs okay. are in trouble. Mm-hmm, exactly. Whereas the, the Bengals have more options. I mean, we saw Tyler Boyd. Uh, they leaned a lot on no name tight ends this week. They had two or three guys make a lot of plays, some career highs. Um, so I think that was a really good sign for the Bengals. I think they're they're kind of all around team effort as all the cylinders are starting to fire halfway through the season. And they're starting to really round into that Super Bowl contender that we thought they would be that's made back to back final fours. Yeah, this is the opposite of the Packers-Rams game. This is not a shot at the Bills. The Bills played very well. Agreed. It's just the Bengals were that much, that good. That's all the games from last week. The Lions were our one Midwest team on a bye. I think our friend of the podcast, Tony, had something to say about that. Yeah, so we had one note. This is more in uh, regards to last week when we talked trade deadline. And he took he he's taking a minor victory lap because if we recall way back to when we did our preseason uh inter or previews when we had our guests on, Tony th- said that one of his concerns with the Lions offense off season was the loss of DJ Chark. And we talked about the Donovan Peoples Jones trade being a replacement for Marvin Jones or Jamison Williams, but it's those guys basically failed to fill the DJ Chark role that he had last year. And he was pretty productive. I think he had 800 yards and five touchdowns in a limited season. And maybe Tony was right about that. That's kind of what the lions are looking for. I mean, would you like to have DJ Chark in that role across from Amon Ra right now? I think I would, if I was a lions fan. So makes that's sense. Yeah. Lap. I think that was a good point. That was his comment on the DPJ trade in the off season or off week by week. I should say. As we transition to our final segment of the show, I do want to uh, let everybody get a chance to show up on the show. If you would like to uh, register an opinion, all you have to do is drop us an email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. I'll just leave that out there, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. On to our Week 10 picks. And one more thing, this is the segment where we pick out just one more thing that we're looking to find out from each game that Midwest teams are up to. We make our picks straight up. It is tough enough to pick the NFL, choose the winners, let alone against the spread. So that is what we uh, we do here. Starting with Thursday game, again, we have a Thursday nighter. This time it is the must-flee TV, <laughs> the Panthers at the Bears. So my one more thing is I want to see – if Indakwe and Montez Sweat can form that pass rushing duo, it seems like Sweat's holding up his side, but Indakwe has some room to to grow, which is same because it's halfway through the season. I want to see the Bears rack up some stats on the defensive secondary here. Um, this would be this should be a really nice shakedown for the Bears, and I I think they 
are good are the better team between the two, and I would pick them to win. I'm also gonna pick the Bears. Um, um, I'm glad I I chose not to go with the quarterback, but I do want to see if Fields plays on a short week. It seems like he's close to playing, but again, we always talk about this. It's I hate when they bring back someone on a Thursday night game when if you hold them out, you get an extra ten days to recover, especially with the thumb on his throwing hand. If yeah, if those ten days are going to make any difference at all, I totally agree with you. And I'm not a doctor to say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in Germany at the wonderful time of 9.30 a.m., I think the NFL wishes the last game would be at 2 in the morning on on Tuesday. But this this game, <laughs> the Colts are, quote-unquote, at the Patriots. So my one more thing is, can uh, Mr. Uh, Moore get two more pick sixes against a terrible uh, Mac Jones-led Patriots? Yeah, this the Colts are in fantasy streamer territory. This is an awful Patriots team. And the Colts aren't great, but at the same time, they're better than the Patriots, I think. So I'm picking the Colts here. I'm and also picking the Colts. What I'm especially looking for is to try and match up the, you know, basically just can Gardner Minshew not go crazy with the turnovers? Like, can he play in a way that can keep the turnovers down against a defensive guru like Belichick? That's a good point. There is an off chance that the Patriots just create a bunch of turnovers and win the game, but I'm still going with the Colts. This is their better roster. On to the actual Sunday morning games or the afternoon games, morning if you're on the West Coast. Starting with our twofer for the week, the Packers at the Steelers. That should, you know, that's one of the ones that get the ad executives all fired up. But is this the most, is this the TV that we really want to see? I want to see if the Steelers who historically start slow this year, there's a joke that I think four or five of their games, they've let, been trailing at halftime and won the game, which is impressive when they've won five. Can they get a quick start? Because I think, if they can get a quick start, they can legitimately steamroll the Packers. As we know, the Packers defense looks great from a lead. So can Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada, offensive guru genius, put up some points in the first half? That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see what happens with Pickens here. Mm. George Pickens, yeah. George Pickens, yeah, because the Packers, for all that we pick on them, have a good pass defense. And they don't like to get beat down the field. We'll see if he's held in check again what's going to happen. But that being said, I think that the matchup is intriguing the way these two teams line up. But I'm going to pick the Steelers at home because I just feel like they're the better team. If all else fail, at least the coaching, and I think would put them over the top. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Steelers, too. I think their defense is going to get a lot of turnovers against Jordan Love, who's, you know, not the most accurate. And also, don't bet against Tomlin Voodoo. Said that many weeks in a row, and I stand by that. (laughs) Yep. We mentioned C.J. Stroud earlier. His Texans are going to be at the Cincinnati Bengals, something of a return to the state that where he went to college and became a star. That's going to be my one more thing. Is let's see that Bengals defense against uh, Stroud that's absolutely on fire. Mm-hmm. So, fun fact: this is this this game is straight down the uh, Ohio River from the Steelers game, both at home. 
and I want to see um, yeah, literally how... you could float down between the two of them exactly and um, I want to see a shootout I got nothing else I think it'd just be a fun fantasy friendly shootout for once you know that's what I want to see yeah we've seen a lot thing. of defensive football lately the a shootout would especially here in the Midwest even on college game days the a shootout sounds kind of fun especially as the weather gets colder and we're going to see less and less of them you know so um, my pick is I'm going to go with the Bengals. I think they're hot and on fire. I, I feel like the, the Stroud-led Texans will keep it close if you're betting a spread, which we don't. But I, I'm still going to go with the home team Bengals. They're they're on a fire and they're very complete. Yeah, um, I would I would have to agree. I As much as I love what Stroud is doing, I would be very surprised if such a flawed team is able to beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Same. But we'll see next. We'll see if if the Vikings continue to deal with adversity. They face a tremendous defense in the Saints. This is an interesting game because the Saints are one of these weird paper tigers where you look at their roster and you go, wow, this team should be awesome. And then you watch him play and you go, Derek Carr's the quarterback. So what I want to see is how veteran Derek Carr stacks up against uh Josh Dobbs in his second week, which makes him a veteran by his standards <laughs> as the Vikings quarterback. I want to see the quarterback yeah. matchup. I, I feel like Josh Dobbs is the better quarterback, and I think that's yeah, going to swing this game. I'm going to take the Vikings. What can Dobbs do for an encore? I wouldn't go so far as to say as I think he's the better quarterback, but it should be an interesting matchup. Uh, I'm going to actually look and see if when Madison – gets stuffed by the Saints because the Saints have an incredible run defense. What happens then? Do they do they go with Chandler? Do they find some guy we've never heard of? Do they just throw 70 times? I have no idea. Leonard Fournette. Will will Dobbs be effectively be the number one running back? Yeah. We will find out. And Leonard Fournette no longer available. He is signed to the Bills practice squad. So and we're after the deadline. So they're running out of options. I'm picking the Saints here. I'm gonna go with the Vikings. They have some voodoo going. <laughs> I hear that. Skull. And and some star power in the last early game. Let's check out the Browns at the Ravens. Oh, man. I want to see the defensive uh, shot. This might be a three to nothing game based on the way these defenses are playing. I want to see if Deshaun Watson can look like the Houston Deshaun Watson because I think we're going to need that. Yeah, I I do feel like. This is not a game that Watson can throw the ball 20 times and the Browns win. Agreed. Um, I do think that uh, what I want to see, you know, we've got that great matchup Browns defensive front against the Ravens. I do. I think the Browns are going to do a number on the Ravens receivers and man alive. What does Lamar Jackson do? I think he's going to loom large in this game. And I like the Ravens over the Browns this time, but it's going to be a close and hard scoring game because unlike the lions and the Seahawks, the Browns see Lamar Jackson twice every year. Yeah. And this is an old fashioned uh, slobber knocker type black and blue division, even if that's the NFC North, but the AFC North is fits in that mold. And I'm not going to bet against the Ravens. The Ravens have been awesome at home, especially against good opponents. And I, I don't think, uh, that changes, and that's not shortchanging the Browns. I just think I've had to change my tone on the Ravens, who I picked to finish last in the division. Uh, last in the division is currently five and three, but they are first in the division, and um, 
I, 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 I'll take them to win. Got it. And our last game is the late game. Uh, there's a ton of buys in week 10, but none of them are in the Midwest. We've got the Lions at the Chargers. So the Lions, it's the Lions' turn to go out and play on the West Coast. So what I want to see is if the Lions can live into a macho man Danny Campbell's dream of just leaning on the run game because the Brandon Staley defenses historically give up the run. And man, I can't think of a coach who would rather just ram a returning David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs down the throat of the uh, West Coast uh, Chargers more than the, the Lions right now. Yeah, this could be a game where the Lions run 30, 40 times. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Because, yeah, Montgomery looks like he's going to return, and he's not the only one. So I'm liking the Lions here. The Chargers played great against a Jets team without a quarterback, but Goff is an entirely different animal. So I want to see against a defense that has good players, but their coach is kind of a bozo. I want to see how efficient Goff can be in terms of actually getting down the field because he's gotten a lot of yards, but it's been a lot of underneath stuff. I trust that the running game will be there regardless. Mm -hmm. Who you got in this game? Lions. I'm also taking Lions. Remember, the Chargers are playing on a short week. And the other thing is, to add to the golf thing, the Chargers have won two games in a row, pretty dominating fashion. But it was against undrafted rookie Tyson Bajant and Zach Wilson. Jared Goff is a much better quarterback than that. That's all the time we have for the Midwest Football Podcast. Thank you very much for spending part of your week with us. We appreciate every moment that you spare and just have some fun chatting about football with us. Thanks again to Raymond for his intro and outro music off of his al- album Call to Me, available wherever digital music is sold. Thanks again for to Chris Brantley for our logos. But as we take it into the fifth quarter, we're wrapping up episode 30. Next is episode 31. And when that rolls around, we will see you later. I miss you already. <laughs> <laughs>